The Old Man by Holloway Horn Martin Thompson was not a desirable character. He possessed a clever, plausible tongue, and for years past had lived with no little success on his wits. He had promoted doubtful boxing competitions and still more doubtful sweepstakes. He had been a professional backer, in which capacity he had defrauded the bookies. Again, a bookmaker who had swindled his clients. There was more cunning than imagination in his outlook, but within his limits, he possessed a certain distorted ability. He was known to his intimates as Battler Thompson, and as such had a surprisingly wide reputation. In outward appearance, he was a gentleman, for his long experience had taught him to avoid the flashy and distinctive in dress. Indeed, his quiet taste had often proved a valuable business asset. Naturally, his fortunes were varied, but he was usually more or less in funds. As Battler sometimes said in his more genial moments, For every mug that dies, there's ten others born. Funds were rather low, however, on the evening when he met the old man. Battler had spent the early part of the evening with two acquaintances in a hotel near Leicester Square. It was a business meeting, and relations had been a little strained. Opinions had been freely expressed which indicated a complete lack of confidence in Battler, and an unmistakable atmosphere had resulted. Not that he resented the opinions in the least, but at that juncture he needed the unquestioned trust of the two men. He was not in the best of humors, therefore, as he turned into Whitcomb Street on his way to Charing Cross. The normal plainness of his features was deepened by a scowl, and the general result startled the few people who glanced at him. But at eight o'clock in the evening, Whitcomb Street is not a crowded thoroughfare, and there was no one near them when the old man spoke to him. He was standing in a passage near the Pall Mall end, and Battler could not see him clearly. Hello, Battler, he said. Thompson swung round. In the darkness, he made out the dim figure, almost conspicuous feature of which was a long white beard. Hello returned Thompson, suspiciously, for as far as he knew, he did not number among his acquaintances an old man with a white beard. It's cold, said the old man. What do you want? asked Thompson curtly. Who are you? I am an old man, Battler. Look here, what's the game? I don't know you. No, but I know you. If that's all you've got to say, said Battler uneasily, it is nearly all. Will you buy a paper? It is not an ordinary paper, I assure you. How do you mean, not an ordinary paper? It is tomorrow night's echo, said the old man calmly. You're a loopy chap, that's what's wrong with you. Look here, things aren't too brisk, but here's half a dollar, and better luck. For all his lack of principle, Badler had the crude generosity of those who live precariously. Luck, the old man laughed with a quietness that jarred Badler's nerves. In some queer way it seemed to run up and down his spine. Look here, he said again, conscious of some strange, unreal quality in the old, dimly seen figure in the passage. What's the blinking game? It's the oldest game in the world, Battler. Not so free with my name, if you don't mind. Are you ashamed of it? No, said Battler stoutly. What do you want? I've got no time to waste with the likes of you. Then go, Battler. What do you want? Battler insisted, strangely uneasy. Nothing. Won't you take the paper? There's no other like it in the world, nor will there be for twenty-four hours. I don't suppose there are many of tomorrow's papers on sale yet, said Battler with a grin. 
It contains tomorrow's winners, said the old man in the same casual manner. I don't think, retorted Bettler. There it is. You may read it for yourself. From the darkness a paper was thrust at Bettler, whose unwilling fingers closed on it. A laugh came from somewhere in the recesses of the passage, and Bettler was alone. He was suddenly and uncomfortably aware of his beating heart, but gripped himself and walked on until he came to a lighted shop front, where he glanced at the paper. Thursday, July ninth, 1926, he read. He thought a moment. It was Wednesday. He was positive it was Wednesday. He took out his diary. It was Wednesday, the 28th of July, the last day of the Kempton Park meeting. He had no doubt on the point whatsoever. With a strange feeling, he glanced at the paper again. July 29th, 1926. He turned to the back page almost instinctively, the page with the racing results. Gatwick. That day's meeting was at Kempton Park. Tomorrow was the nest day of the Gatwick meeting, and there, staring at him, were the five winners. He passed his hand across his forehead. It was damp with cold perspiration. There is a trick somewhere, he muttered to himself and carefully re-examined the date of the paper. It was printed on each page, clear and unaltered. He scrutinized the unit figure of the year, but the six had not been tampered with. He glanced hurriedly at the front page. There was a flaring headline about the coal strike. That wasn't 25. With professional care, he examined the racing results. Inkerman had won the first race. Inkerman? and Battler had made up his mind to lock Paperclip with more money than he could afford to lose. Paperclip was merely an also-ran. He noticed that people who passed were glancing at him curiously. Hurriedly, he pushed the paper into an inner pocket and walked on. The following morning, he went to Gatwick. It was a meeting he liked, and usually he was very lucky there. But that day, it was not merely a question of luck. There was a streak of caution in his bets on the first race but he flung caution to the wind after Inkerman had come in a comfortable winner, and at six to one. The horse and the price. He had no doubts left. Salmon House won the second, a hot favorite, at seven to four on. In the big race, most of the punchers left Shallot alone. The horse had little form, and there was no racing reason why anyone should back him. He was among what the rookies called the rags, but Badler cared nothing for form that day. He spread his money judiciously. Twenty here, twenty there. Not until ten minutes before the race did he wire any money to the West End offices, but some of the biggest men in the game opened their eyes when his wins came through. He was out to win a fortune, and he won. As the horses entered the straight, one of them was lengths ahead of the field. It carried the flashing yellow and blue of Shallot's owner. The groan that went up from the punters around him was satisfactory, but there was no thrill in the race for him. He had been certain that Shallot would win. There was no objection, and he proceeded to collect. His pockets were bulging with notes, but his winnings were as nothing compared with the harvest he would reap from the big men in the West End. He ordered a bottle of champagne and, with a silent grin, drank the health of the old man with the beer before he sent for the taxi that would take him back to the station. There was no train for half an hour, and when at last it started his carriage had filled with racing men among whom were several he knew. The wiser race-goers rarely wait until the end of a meeting. Battler was usually very expansive after a good day, but that afternoon he took no part in the conversation, 
with the exception of an occasional grunt when a remark was made to him. Try as he would, he could not keep his thoughts away from the old man. It was the memory of the laugh that remained with him most vividly. He could still feel that queer sensation down his spine. On an impulse, he took out the paper, which was still in his pocket. He had no real interest in news as such, for racing absorbed the whole of his very limited imagination. As far as he could tell from a casual inspection, it was a very ordinary sort of paper. He made up his mind to get another in town and compare the two in order to see if the old man had spoken the truth. Not that it mattered very much, he assured himself. Suddenly, his incurious glance was held. A paragraph in the stop-press column had caught his eye. An exclamation burst from him. Death in race train, the paragraph was headed. Bettler's heart was pumping, but he read on mechanically. Mr. Martin Thompson, a well-known racing man, died this afternoon as he was returning from Gatwick. He got no further. The paper fell from his limp fingers onto the floor of the carriage. Look at Battler, someone said. He's ill. He was breathing heavily and with difficulty. Stop! Stop the train! He gasped and strove to rise and lurch towards the communication cord. Steady on, Battler, one of them said and grasped his arm. You sit down, old chap. Mustn't pull that darn thing. He sat down, or rather collapsed into the seat. His head fell forward. They forced whiskey between his lips, but it was of no avail. He's dead, came the awestruck voice of the man who held him. No one noticed the paper on the floor. In the general upset it had been kicked under the seat, and it is not possible to say what became of it. Perhaps it was swept up by the cleaner at Waterloo. Perhaps. No one knows.